Welcome into NHL at the Rink, a special edition of the podcast. We are here in St. Louis at All-Star Weekend. Dan Rosen here, and as always with me, Sean Rourke. Sean, enjoying your All-Star Weekend so far? Always. St. Louis has been a good town to us for the last three years or so, starting with the Winter Classic, Stanley Cup Final, now All-Star. Weather could be a little warmer, maybe, but it's good hockey weather, so we're ready to talk some hockey. Weather could be a little clearer, too. We've had some snow, some rain, (laughs) but uh, I always love All-Star Weekend, and this one's special because we're doing all-decade stuff so the all-decade team has been released the first team Sidney Crosby Patrick Kane Alex Ovechkin Duncan Keith Drew Doughty and Mark Andre Fleury what do you think is that your team that is my team uh, exactly I, I think that's the team that I it is the team that I picked look there were a couple battles there on on defense you know I thought about trying to get Char up there but I, I don't think you can put him into that top two and how are you going to argue with the three forwards who are you going to break into that group no the three forwards are fine uh, I actually and and Duncan Keith he belongs there's no question about it I had Chara in over Dowdy you can make a case both ways. I don't think either one is wrong. The one that I disagree with, and it's not a knock on Mark andre Fleury, but I had Henrik Lundqvist in, and I think Henrik Lundqvist should be the first-team goaltender. I just look at Lundqvist and I say he did a lot, maybe a little bit more. Never won the Cup, but he did a ton with a lot less than Mark andre Fleury had. I mean, Fleury had the offense. The Penguins scored the most goals in the decade. They, there was a cushion there for Mark andre Fleury. There was almost no cushion every single season for Henrik Lundqvist, yet they made the playoffs routinely, the New York Rangers. They got to the Eastern Conference Final in 2012. They got to the Stanley Cup Final in 2014. He had three, Fleury had 322 wins in 557 games. Lundqvist, 299 in 579. So just a little bit more there for Flurry. I just look at it and I say the teams that they played for, Lundqvist had a little bit less to work with than Marc-Andre Flurry. Everybody on that first team has a Stanley Cup. Yeah, I know. How can you be the goalie of the but decade Fleury and, and not, you, haven't, you haven't lifted the big silver trophy? But Flurry did not win the Stanley Cup in the Stanley Cup final, either one of them. He was the backup, and he played the first two rounds in one of them, and then he, then he didn't play. It was Matt Murray who was really the goaltender of those Penguins teams. He still went a long way. Some of it was injury. Some of it was injury, and some of it was just he wasn't – I mean, let's not – look. Again, we I don't want to disparage Mark Andre Fleury. He had a great decade. Let's not kill the guy. But there were also times where Mark Andre Fleury just fell apart as well. And I just look at the consistency of Lundqvist. He faced the most shots of any goaltender in the decade, and he had a 919 save percentage. Fleury's was 916. And you think about it, Lundqvist had Marion Gabrick had a couple of good seasons. Rick Nash had a couple of good seasons. But never, uh, maybe two or three times, had a guy with more than 70 points. And it was every single season that Flurry had one of those guys that gave him that cushion. And that's why I lean heavily in this argument to Lundqvist. Goalies are supposed to win. That's their job. Their goals against average doesn't matter. Their save percentage doesn't matter. When you win the most games, you're the goalie of the decade. All right. So Lundqvist was the goalie on the second team. So let's look at the second team. you got Evgeny Malkin, Steven Stamkos, Patrice Bergeron, Zdeno Chara, Eric Carlson, and Henrik Lundqvist. What do you think about that second team? It's a pretty good team. I think here's where you get into more arguments. And when we have guests on throughout the podcast here, we're probably going to talk about this a little more in depth. But there are some other guys you, you could throw in there. You know, you could put Anze Kopitar in there. I think he's criminally underrated because of the West Coast bias that all the, yeah. the fans out West will say is a thing. But I do. I, I think if you don't see Anze Kopitar play every night at 10 o'clock on the East Coast, you have no idea how dominant a center he was. He's right there with Bergeron for me. Um, and, and, you know, and then you get into the defense. When you could put other guys in there, like I, I really wanted to put Chris Letang in my top four. Um, but again, who are you going to knock out? The other one is Jonathan Taves, too. I mean, I know it's Blackhawks heavy, but it was a Blackhawks heavy decade and maybe didn't have the gaudy numbers that some of the other ones have. But he's got the three Stanley Cup championships. Uh, he was the leader of those teams, unquestioned leader of those teams, and was the guy that. You know, when the chips were down, Taves was on the ice, winning face-offs, doing all the little things, setting up goals if need be as well, and didn't always play with Patrick Kane. In fact, you know, a lot of times they didn't play together. So he's another one you could throw in that mix. When you talk Bergeron, when you talk Kopitar, I think you got to put Taves in that, that category as well. 
Maybe maybe we should put together an all snub team and see if they, <laughs> if they would be good enough to go against either one of these teams. And we have Patrick Sharp coming on with us soon, and and he he joked that he's not on the team. I told him he could be on the third team. You'll hear that. But it was great to get Sharp on to talk about this, and you'll hear that interview soon because he played with a number of these guys and he played against a number of them too. One of the brightest minds I think in hockey right now does some great work for NBC Sports Network. Um, really looks at the game in a unique way as a player and is able to convey it in a way that you can understand it and has fun with who he was and what the game's about. I really enjoy listening to him. Before we hear from Patrick, let's go back to the first team, Sean. So we can't gloss over the forwards, though. I mean, we talked about some of the defensemen, and we had a little debate there on the goalie, but and we agree on these three forwards, Crosby, Kane, and Ovechkin. And I had a story... A story up on NHL.com now. I talked to Ryan Callahan and Scott Hartnell, both former players, played against all these guys, and they're now doing some part-time work for the NHL Network. And I asked them specific things about each guy and what maybe the fan doesn't see. With Crosby, it's the defense. That's what they both were saying. With Kane, everybody sees his creativity, but it's just that ability to make that play and to even think about making that play that nobody else even thinks about making, and then that ability to make that play too. And with Ovechkin... It's the power and the growth. And that's where it was the growth from 2010 to 2019 in his game as an overall player. So let's not gloss over these guys. I mean, they belong, and there's a reason why. Yeah, and look, two of them are going to be the greatest their countries have ever produced, maybe. Yeah. Right? Ovechkin's going to be the greatest Russian. Kane could be the greatest American. We talked about that a little in last week's podcast, and you know how I feel about that. Crosby... He's got some competition. He's not going to be maybe not going to greatest Canadian, but I think he's a top five but, player of all time. Yeah. So how can you say? And and this was their dominant decade, right? They came in in a previous decade, and they'll go out in a different decade. But this was the meat of their career. This is where they burnished their legacies, and, and they're all no doubt as first ballot all first decade. Ballot, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, it's people forget because it happened long ago now. But this is also the decade where Sidney Crosby got hurt and he dealt with all the head injuries and he missed a ton of games. And that's why his games played is not near where, you know, Patrick Kane is or where Alex Ovechkin is. But he was first in the decade among players with 400 more games at 1.25 points per game, which is remarkable when you when you think about it. But it's also the way he plays. He dealt with all those injuries and yet. Even today, you watch him play, he's the first guy that goes into the corner. He's the first guy that goes to battle for a one-on-one pocket behind the net. It's quite amazing with everything he's dealt with. And he just came back now from another injury, a core injury. Yeah. First four games back, eight points. Yeah. Like, it's money in the bank. He comes back, there's no rust. His game is so natural. There's nothing that he has to think about. There's nothing. I'm sure he thinks about a lot of things, but... It all just happens. There's no thought, I got to put my stick here, I got to do this. It just translates. As soon as he steps back on the ice, he's right where he was before. And Hartnell told me, Scott Hartnell said to me, he makes the play before you even have time to think about the play he might make. And that's how good he is. And that's what sets him apart, his mind. Yeah. It's like playing chess with him. Yeah. Everybody else is playing checkers. We talked about Sidney Crosby with Patrick Sharp, who does some great work on the NBC Sports Network, three-time Stanley Cup champion. So let's go to Patrick right now. Let's welcome him in. Patrick, thanks so much for joining us. How you doing? Good. How are you guys doing? Good. We're good. So here's the All-Decade team, which you had a vote on. Yep. Patrick Kane, Sidney Crosby, and Alex Ovechkin at the forwards. Duncan Keith, Drew Doughty as the defenseman, and Marc-Andre Fleury as the goaltender. You played with a couple of them, played against all of them. Well, with a couple yep. of them, against the other ones. Agree or disagree? Is that is that your team? I like that uh, starting lineup for sure. The goaltenders are ones that I'm I'm confused on, to be honest with you. Fleury can't argue with his decade and his career to this point. I think Henrik Lundqvist's name should be in the conversation. Corey Crawford, two Stanley Cups. Jonathan Quick, what he did in L.A. Those guys at the goaltender position stand out. But the other five, yeah, no no brainers for me. Duncan Keith and Drew Doughty, uh, staples on the blue line of two teams that were dominant in the decade. Up front, Patrick Kane. Okay. Um, what do you want me to say about him? <laughs> what, I mean, what else could you say? He's <laughs> exactly. spent an entire career talking about the guy, right? And rightfully so. He's been incredible, man. Just got his thousandth point uh, last week, and he was fun to watch. So many big moments. Forget about the total points. I know he led the decade in, in scoring, uh, but it was just the big moments for me with Kane are the overtime winners. Times when we needed somebody on our team to step up and make a play at different situations, whether it's a Stanley Cup final, whether it's a regular season game, you name it. Whenever our backs were against the wall, it seemed like Kaner made a play 
to get us over the hump. And then Crosby and Ovechkin, I mean, who's going to argue with that? Those guys are unreal. The fact that Ovechkin got um, past Pittsburgh in the playoffs the one year, won the Stanley Cup, kind of got everybody off his back. He was dealing with the, you know, he's a great player individually, but he's never going to win. That's a bunch of nonsense now. Uh, it seems like he's getting better at this stage in his career. And Sid, I mean, what a, what a player he's been since he's coming to the league. So he can't really argue with that starting lineup um no sharp on it though that's the first yeah, thing i noticed is, yeah well you, you'd play against them and shut them all down right? there you go i yeah. could go back to being the center iceman that i was when i entered the league and, and play some defense out you're there. on the third team i think <laughs> okay that's released in a while yeah you know it's i talked with uh, i did a story for nhl.com on this and i talked with a couple of uh, scott hartnell and ryan callahan who do some work for the nhl network now and I asked him about Crosby, and they said Callahan was really interesting. And he he said, "You look at all the numbers and everything, and that's great. But the thing that stood out to him was just the the defensive ability that he had. Too is that something that stands out to you? Like again, the numbers and what he could do, but just the idea of how good he was with his stick and how good he was at angling guys out, positioning, all that stuff. Yeah, you never really see Crosby pinned in his zone, do you? Defensively, he's always uh, finds a way to shut the play down, kill it, and get back on the attack. What? which is really what makes him such a special player is his offensive uh, gifts that he has. To me, the best quality of Sidney Crosby is you throw the puck behind the net in the corner in a one-on-one battle, and he's coming out with the puck every single time. He's going to protect it. He's going to make that defender work and uh, get the puck to a teammate in a good position. You know, those, are, those are players. Jonathan Taves was like that. Uh, that that past decade, so many times I would just cycle the puck behind the net and Johnny would stick his backside out and hold that defender off and make a play. That's where Crosby shines uh, the most. There's really no weaknesses to his game. Got an opportunity to play with him at the Olympic team in 2014, and that was the first time I got to really watch him every day for a couple weeks in practice, in games. I always saw the highlights from Pittsburgh of him scoring or finishing a play, but all of a sudden now I get to see how much of a professional he is off the ice, the way he handles the media. You know, we all have a lot of requests, but Sidney Crosby's on another level, and uh, he's a true pro. So he's center iceman of the, the first line of the all-decade team. That's a no-brainer for me. He never takes a minute off, does he? No. When he's at the rink, it's all business. He's going to work at whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. He's going to say the right things. He's going to prepare to play. He's going to uh, be the professional that he has been since – the day he started playing hockey, I saw a clip on him on YouTube. Sometimes I stay up at night towards the end of the night and I'm just going through like the rabbit hole of hockey videos, <laughs> finding these kids over in Europe practicing. And all of a sudden this clip of Sidney Crosby at like age 12 or something was on there, 14 right. maybe. And you watch him speak in this clip at an interview and it's unbelievable. It's like he's 35-year-old <laughs> professional <laughs> captain of an NHL team. So he's been doing it his whole life and it's pretty special. And I wanted to ask you too because one of the other, like I said in that story with Hartnell and Callahan, they talked about Duncan Keith. And I'm sure you, you have a great appreciation for this. His ability to knock down the puck on a chip. Just if You don't see chips that often anymore in the league, but when he did it, how did that change your the, the Blackhawks game because it, of his ability to knock down plays that the other team is trying to make in the neutral zone. It, it's a big play, and I know exactly where he learned it from. It was from Nick Lidstrom of the Red Wings. Uh, back in the early days of 2005, 6, 7, maybe even 2008, the Red Wings had those great teams, and the Blackhawks were awful. And we played each other eight times yep. a year, played each other in the preseason, and it was just a beatdown every time we played them. It was the <laughs> Red Wings teaching us <laughs> lessons. And so many times I'd be skating through the neutral zone on a one-on-one, Nothing going on, just want to chip the puck into the corner and get off the ice and whack. Lidstrom would just bat it out of the air into a two-on-one the other way, catching us in a line change. All of a sudden, Duncan Keith started doing that kind of stuff for us in Chicago. And I'll tell you, being a winger on the ice when Duncan Keith's out there, it's like I can, I can afford to focus on scoring goals a little bit more. Right? <laughs> I don't have to come back as hard knowing that Dunks is going to break up plays, kill him, and we're going the other way. So that defense, you have Keith and then you have Dowdy. They had some incredible battles during the decade. That the the what wasn't the series of the decade, but easily could have been that Western Conference Final. That they each played over thirty minutes every game. It seemed Did, when that was going on, were you able to even process how special the play from those guys were? A little bit. I you certainly know who those guys are, and it's fun to watch them. But in the moment, it's just like, oh, we got to deal with this Drew Doughty guy again. <laughs> Kopitar was a stud too. Uh, Jonathan Quick was amazing, but Doughty is one of those guys that he brings that passion and his body language shows it, uh, especially in a playoff series. Uh, the big celebrations when the ref makes a, 
a bad call or a call that goes against his team. He's always flailing his arms, and he's just <laughs> he wears his heart on his sleeve. And uh, you can appreciate it from the other side. That series was unreal. It was seven games, 2014. They went on to win the Cup against New York that year. Yeah, that game seven still haunts us a little bit in Chicago. I think we had a two nothing lead, three, yeah, three two lead, four yeah. three lead, and lost five four in overtime on home ice game seven. Uh, thankfully, we went on to win a cup the next year, so it kind of glosses it over a little mm-hmm. bit, but that was a, a missed opportunity for us. And uh, I look back at all those players, not just Drew Doughty, but Jeff Carter was in that series, all the big defensemen that would slap me around in the, in the <laughs> offensive zone. Uh, it was fun. It was fun to be a part of it. My old coach was coaching the other side too, John Stevens. Yeah. I had him in the minors, so that was a fun series to be a part of. The You mentioned with Kane at the start the, the big goals, right, the overtime goal. Did you see it go in? I did. You were the one that saw it go in, right? 100% I saw it go in, and uh, YouTube will back me up on that. Just keep an eye at the high slot. We've all seen Kaner make the move on team and in, cut down the wall, and zip the the shot along the ice on Michael Layton. Just watch number 10 in the high slot. I saw the puck go through his legs. I saw the back pad move. And then when Kaner's reaction and my reaction says it all. Did you see it before he saw it? I don't know. I mean – because he's Maybe coming around, had, right? Yeah, he, he might have had yeah. a tougher angle than I did because he was looking right at Leighton. I'm not sure if he knew it went past him, but I saw the puck go behind Leighton and hit the white pad. I knew it was in 100%, and my reaction says that. Uh, I always give Kaner a hard time because normally he would take that behind the net, yeah. look for me in the high slot. Maybe I'd take a one-timer, and I'd be the hero. But uh, <laughs> I'm happy it went in either way. And To me, I think that was the goal of the decade uh, from a lot of people's perspective. And, I mean, what a – what a huge moment that was for Chicago. So we've talked a lot about the first team. There's a pretty good second team. I would like to see him go head-to-head maybe in the three-on-three format here at the All-Star game. That's but a good idea. It's Stamkos, mm-hmm. Malkin, Bergeron, Charter, Carlson, and Henrik Lundqvist. Lundqvist. For okay. me, the biggest battle, and I, I picked Bergeron. Yeah. I really wanted to put Kopitar on that team. Yeah. They're the same player. Yeah. And to me, Bergeron's numbers were just a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, but that was the hardest one for me. Yeah, this is where you get into some tricky conversation. Don't forget Jonathan Taves. I, I was just going to say. And yeah. I don't know what the numbers Neither. are, but when I think Bergeron, I think Ryan O'Reilly, Datsuk, mm-hmm. Taves, Kopitar, that type of centerman. Taves had a pretty good decade himself to, to look at the fact that he's not on – one of these two teams is, is crazy. Now, the two goaltenders as well, we mentioned that Quick and Crawford would be the two guys that probably feel snubbed about this, but you can't really argue with it. Eric Carlson was one of those guys that kind of changed the position a little bit. Now, of course, you see the Kale McCars and the Tyson Berries and that offensive-type defenseman that is going to get in the play in that fourth wave, create offense from the back. But 10 years ago, we didn't see a whole lot of that, and Carlson was kind of leading the charge in that direction and then the other guys Charo's the other guy right yeah well, I mean how can you argue with that he's still getting it done at his age and he's kind of adapted through all these changes came in as a big lanky guy probably wasn't supposed to make it as far as he did worked on things that he needed to work on and he kind of adapted with the game it used to be more physical used to be more clutching and grabbing use your stick all of a sudden the rules change you can't slash you can't cross check as much you can't hook and hold and Chara still got it done in those 10 years, so he can't really argue with those. Is two. he one of the most intimidating players you played against? Yeah, probably. I mean, he's uh, he's got that long reach that you think you can make a pass through him or around him. I think going through him is probably the best approach, uh, but he is big. He's a good teammate, too. You can tell that. Wearing the C in Boston, he stands up for his teammates. He's not a bully by any sense of the, of the word, but he definitely will – not let anybody mess around out there, if you know what I mean. And that playoff series we had with Boston 2013, we had Hosa go head-to-head with uh, Chara. On the Hosa was a right winger playing up against Chara on the left side, and it was uh, a pretty good battle for a couple games, and Boston was taking it to us. And then we made a switch. Hosa went down, Kane went up, and Kane and Hosa, two different players. Kane is a little smaller, a little mm-hmm. quicker, and he started passing pucks, uh, trying to go through Chara and attack him instead of just giving him so much respect. And things kind of turned around there. But I've had a chance to hang out with Daniel Char at the All-Star game, actually, in 2011. And what a friendly guy, nice person, and uh, probably a, a great captain to play for. There's no reason or no question that the Boston Bruins have a good locker room, and Char has got a big part of that. Just don't get him riled up. Yeah, exactly. Don't poke stay, the bear, right? Stay on his good side. <laughs> <laughs> now that we're talking about it, you went through some pretty good defensemen in, in your title runs, like playing in the West yeah. in the playoffs and all the guys we talked about, and then in the finals – 
He played against some pretty – Some good players, no yeah. question. Shea Weber's a guy that doesn't get a lot of mentions in this conversation, but he had a good decade as well. Nashville was close a few times of knocking us off. We had to squeak by them in 2010. Um, later again in 2015, we just got by him. Scott Darling, you guys remember, yeah. came in for Crow and made about 50 saves one night. Uh, he was a beast, Weber. Man, I'm trying to think. Went of through Hedman? The Pronger in the 2010 yeah. final with Philly was an animal. Hedman in 2015. Uh, we mentioned Chara. Um, I had a good battle with Johnny Boychuk going in 2013. He seemed to be my matchup. I was the yeah. second line yeah. left winger. He was a right-handed shot defenseman. He laid me out a few times, and we went back and forth head to head, and it was great to shake hands after after a series. So that's what uh, that's what it's all about, especially in the playoffs. I love that. The, uh, I could talk about this all day. There's the, you guys battle for seven games, and yeah. then you absolutely despise each other <laughs> through through the entire series, and then you're shaking hands right at the end of it. That's uh, It's one of the great things about the game. Oh, it's hilarious. You're yelling at the guy all day. For two weeks, you know, calling him names, slashing him when the ref's not looking, <laughs> trying to get under his skin, just trying to one-up to him, almost like a big brother type thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and then all of a sudden it's over, win or lose, you shake hands, you do a little slap on the chest, and you, and you bury it. There's no hard feelings at all. Quenville was coach of the year. What made him the right guy at the right time for um, the Blackhawks? A couple things, really. He took over the Hawks at a time when we were probably an easy team to coach, meaning that we had a lot of young stars, a lot of players that were developing uh, at certain points in their career, and we were headed in the right direction. But we needed a veteran coach with a loud voice that knew what a, his plan was going to be to kind of lead us. Jonathan Taves was a 21-year-old captain. Uh, he's a great leader, still is. Uh, but Joel Quenville is the guy that came in and kind of all of a sudden we looked around and said, man, we got a chance to start winning here. And we did. We had a, a good run in 2009, went to the conference finals, lost to the Wings. And won the cup the following year. But Q is a coach that his intensity kind of filters down from the bench into the players uh, on the ice. And you see him, he's very animated on the bench. Doesn't matter if it's a practice, a playoff game. He's always wants to win. His competitiveness is is awesome to be around. A couple team events that some team building stuff. We go to like golf tournaments or bowling events. And who is it? It's Q just competing and, and getting after it right away, making loud noises and screams and cheers. So it's contagious, and that's a no-brainer for me, Coach of the Year, Joel Quinville. You still hear his voice in your head sometimes? A little bit, yeah. I saw <laughs> you wake him, up uh, in a cold sweat. <laughs> it's, it's more the the look, you know, the mouth closed, the, the mustache, the eyebrows down, yeah, that yeah. stern look at you. I've seen that a few too many times. He looks like the Panthers logo now. Yeah, isn't that funny? <laughs> Somebody saw, did yeah. that on the on the internet. I yeah. got a piece of it. That was hilarious to me. So they were just obviously in town to, to play the Hawks in Chicago. Let's the current Hawks how close are they do you think to getting back to being or are they there a, a playoff contender let's go current now they're a contender and the last two weeks have kind of made me say that it's been a very inconsistent season for the Hawks I think it's fair to say that uh, they frustrate you at times some, some games you watch the the, uh, the Hawks play and it's it's like who is this team they they don't have anything no direction what's going on and then you go through a two-week stretch where everything comes together and they look like a playoff team, like a top eight, and that's where they are right now. I give Jeremy Carlton a lot of credit. That's not an easy spot to walk into. Replacing Joel Quenville after a decade of success in Chicago and all of a sudden you're a young coach, maybe youngest in the league at the time, taking over. He's starting to get his hands on this team a little bit more and his ideas are coming through. Uh, they got a lot of young players. and. Sometimes you got to learn on the fly with these young guys. You need that 50, 100, 150 games in the NHL to really figure out what's going on. You know, I always said once you play in every rank in the league, once you play against every team, that's when uh, you're no longer a rookie. And we're starting to have some younger guys show real signs of of being good players. Kirby Doc's got a bright future, 18 years old. He's playing center. He's getting more and more ice time. His skating is, is real good. It's only a matter of time before he starts realizing how he can start producing offense Every single night, Boquist, the first-round defenseman pick. Uh, he's got another element back there, kind of like an Eric Carlson. He's very smooth with the puck, uh, can get involved offensively. The older guys, Keith looks good. Kane's improving every year. And Taser, I mean, he's finally got a top line to play with. Dominic Kubelik, a young guy that they found uh, from Europe, coming over, he's scoring a bunch of goals. Brandon Sod's back healthy. So, I mean, the goaltending position is the last thing I'll say. It's the reason why the Hawks are, are close to getting in that last playoff spot. Leonard's been great. Crawford's been unreal as well. So it'll be a fun final stretch. I'd, hopefully that these big games down the stretch, these young guys step up and show that they're ready to go. 
but they're right in that pack with four, five, six other teams in the West that who knows what's going to happen. Do they have to make a depth move? Well, injuries have hurt them a lot this season. I think a healthy Blackhawks roster from start to finish, I think they're sitting in a playoff spot right now. But, I mean, we can't really say yeah. that every team deals with injuries. I think any team that's going to be in the top eight could use help with depth. Look at Pittsburgh. Look at St. Louis. Tons of injuries. It seems like they just call guys up from the minors, plug them in, and they make a difference right away. So I don't know what Stan's going to do, but it'll be a fun final 30 games. They just can't hurt themselves. Did you see the thing with – with uh, Keith and Taves, you know, <laughs> yeah. like what happened there? Did you, did you get any insight on that? Just a couple of idiots in morning skate uh, <laughs> yapping at each other, making fun of each other. Uh, Dunks was probably in a bad mood or taser and somebody took a joke the wrong way. Next yeah. thing you know, you're pushing and, and you drop the gloves and you're fighting. There was no punches thrown. There was no bad blood there. It's, it's funny. I think Dunks is leading the Hawks in practice fights now. He's uh, He got me in 2007, way back in San Jose. We dusted off and, and fought when Dennis Savard was the coach. He fought Ben Smith in a training camp. Uh, and then now the captain, Jonathan Taves. So he's running through the team pretty good. And <laughs> it kind of speaks who Dunks is, really. He's a fiery guy, competitive. He'll play until he's 50 years old if he can. What are you most looking forward to? As the season ends, as we're coming towards the trade deadline. There's a ton of storylines. One of the biggest ones, and you know, we're going to talk about it for the next several weeks, is Ovi, right? Almost 700 goals, chasing Gretzky. Uh, he's unbelievable to watch, even at this point. That's a crazy story that I don't think it's talked about enough. Like The numbers that Wayne Gretzky has put up in his career are ridiculous. Everybody knows that. And if you don't, just Google his name and look at the the stats for his career they're hilarious they're, they're worse than video game numbers it's mm -hmm. almost like they're fake numbers and the fact that we got a guy in this day and age that has a legitimate chance to catch him for the goals record is really an incredible story and Ovi's a player that remember him coming in the year after the 2005 lockout and he was just playing at a higher level than everybody else he just looked like he wanted to score more than everybody else and I remember I started my career at the same time and I was thinking man I got to play a little bit more like Ovechkin like Less on the outside, less waiting for things to happen, and just skate around and get involved. And he's just been incredible to watch ever since 2005. Hasn't slowed down. Always represents his country in the international tournaments. I think that's a cool thing. And I'm glad that he got over the hump and won a Stanley Cup with Washington. They might win another one this year. They got a pretty good team. So that's the story I'm going to be watching down the stretch. The other one is Tampa Bay. I think they got a lot to prove. Um, who cares what happens in the regular season? I think they feel that way. I think they might be a little embarrassed to have a chip on their shoulder yep. from what happened last year, and I would not want to face them in a playoff matchup. So Tampa's a team I'm going to have my on as well. Last one for you. We'll put you on the spot back to Ovechkin. Does he catch Gretzky's well, well, What does he need? He needs like five or two, six seasons of 40 goals? 202 goals. Okay, 202, so five seasons of 40 goals. Yeah. Well, his shot's not going anywhere. Everybody in the game, fans included, knows that he's going to shoot it from the half wall in the power play, and he still scores. So that's not going to get stopped anytime soon. Um, knock on wood, he's remained healthy his whole career. He's not like he had a serious injury five years ago that's going to nag him down the line. Um, what I've noticed most about Ovechkin throughout his career is that, and I say this, I don't want to insult him. It's a huge compliment. It seems like he doesn't really care about a whole lot other than playing hockey. And I, I mean, I got to rephrase that somehow. Nothing seems to bother him. Okay, I was a player where I'd go home after practice and think, okay, what's my line today? Who are we playing tomorrow? What's the matchup going to be like? Oh, I gotta, I'm overthinking everything. Ovi's just a hockey player. You know, goes mm -hmm. to the rink, puts the skates on, runs around, hits guys, takes shots, scores goals, has fun. So from that standpoint, I think he enjoys playing the game. I don't think he's got any signs of slowing down. I think he takes a serious run at it, and it's going to be real close. Perfect. Man, thanks for doing this, Patrick. Yeah, Appreciate thanks it. for having me. That was fun. Great stuff there with Patrick Sharp. Does just wonderful work, I think, on NBC. I, I, I think he's a natural on TV, Sean. I do, and it's the stories he told, right? That's that's what you want when you listen to an analyst, is you want that inside the minds of those players. The stuff he said about Chara, uh, about Keith, and, and the fights in practice. Yeah, and, that was great. <laughs> and playing against Dowdy, like... That gives depth to these guys who we just talk about the numbers all the time. And that's why we wanted to have him on because he has that perspective. He played with and was in every battle with Duncan Keith and Patrick Kane. He played in the Stanley Cup final against Chara, you know, in those big series against Dowdy. So it was just great perspective. But also, 
let's not discount the current events of what's going on in the NHL, which let's spin it forward. He, I thought his point on Tampa was really interesting, too, just to watch out for the Lightning, that chip on their shoulder that they've had really since, you know, last year losing against Columbus and, and their game coming around now, too. Yeah, and it's a different game. They're a different team. They're not a Kucherov-Stamkos team anymore. It's spread out. They're more sound defensively. You know, I started the season with them in Europe, and there was a lot of talk about trying to find their game and how inconsistent they were and how they were trying to switch their identity, and they couldn't be who they wanted to be until that switch became organic. They stopped thinking about it, and they did it. I think that's where they are now, and the results are starting to show. They're they're on a bit of a they're a bit of a juggernaut right now, and it's also I mean look this month now four weeks from Monday is going to be trade deadline day, so this is always interesting. Like All Star Weekend is the celebration, and everybody's happy and it's loose, and then you come out of this and it's bang, we're right into trade deadline talk. So there's a that's the big storyline for me coming out of All Star Weekend when we're done here. Oh, for sure. Who's going to sell? You know, you look at all the teams at the bottom, the Jerseys, the Detroits, those kind of teams, the teams in California, Anaheim, L.A., all have some pieces that could really impact the playoff race. And then who's going to be the buyers and who's going to pay that price? We've talked a little with Sharp about Chicago. Yeah. Stan went from being a seller to being potentially, potentially. a buyer. Yeah. Right? And is is Tampa Bay going to try and bolster for the playoffs thinking they might need one more piece what does Boston do to get a third line scorer all those things that are going on and who's going to strike first because that's going to be the deal it's moved forward every year it's not a deadline day anymore that's when all the little papering of the holes that you've made in the wall happen the (laughs) the foundation is laid two weeks earlier now yeah there's got to be a team that strikes first another one that's really interesting to look at is the minnesota wild right bill Guerin, first year gm said he's going to take about 55 to 60 games to get a full evaluation right around the trade deadline doesn't have rentals really i mean miko koivu but he's not i mean that's not really a, a rental he koivu's been with the wild forever and i don't see them moving him they're five points out of a playoff spot what does billy do that's again that's going to be one of the most interesting things he doesn't have rentals but does he decide that he wants to remake his team does he look at maybe moving a big defenseman you know he has several he has Dumba he has Brodeen does he dangle one of those guys out they make a difference for whoever gets them you know you slot one of those guys into a four or five on a really good team and all of a sudden they're a lot more to handle so does does he put his stamp on his team by doing something like that it's not a rental move it's a I'm going to fundamentally change the DNA of my team. You'll hear from Eric Stahl shortly. We sat down with him at Media Day. And speaking of Media Day, Chris Kreider, I was able to catch up with him. Now, I see him a lot with the New York Rangers, but it's not something you ask him every day about his contract. He might be the guy, the rental player on the market that is the best one and the most sought-after one, unrestricted free agent after the year. The Rangers are in an interesting situation, too. They've been sellers the last two years. They're 10 points out. They've got Chris Kreider, who they could probably get something for. It's going to be very interesting to see what the Rangers do with Chris Kreider. He says, I'm a Ranger until I'm not a Ranger anymore. He's not really focused on it, which he can't be as a player. Yeah, but what do they do? Great, they have all these young pieces. Who's going to lead him into battle? Again, we just talked about Sharp, and he talked about his team, and it was the coach. It can't be the coach in New York because the coach is good, but he's young too. He's finding his way. You need somebody that has been to every rink that can tell the team what to do, that when things go poorly can fix it. You get rid of Chris Kreider, what do you have left? You can't keep, in my estimation, you can't keep trading veteran players every single season or you're constantly going to be rebuilding and it's an interesting decision for the Rangers no doubt being in the position that they're in and the the fear of losing a player like Kreider for nothing in the offseason and can they afford him next year if they want to re-sign him what's going to happen there's really no contract negotiations that are ongoing right now that could change very quickly but at some point you're gonna have to play meaningful games in March and at some point, you're just going to have to hang on to these guys, I think. And maybe, I don't know what the Rangers are going to do, but maybe that's maybe Chris Kreider is the guy that they finally hang on to. Yeah, I, I think they need to if they want to move forward. But for me, the favorite part of Media Day is just the little snippets you see everywhere, right? Uh, I thought the interplay between the Chuck brothers the Kachuk brothers, yeah. was unbelievable. Telling stories. Nick, Nick Kostanik, our colleague, has a great story on uh, NHL.com now about them basically growing up in this rink in the Enterprise Center, the old version of it. 
fighting every day in the dressing room, you know, breaking bones in the wife's room, getting back uh, cross-checked into the couch. <laughs> like this prepared, Brothers will be brothers, right? Yeah, and this prepared them for what they do now. That's what they do now in the NHL. So it was things like that. I know you talked to some of the coaches, and they had some, some great stuff on the, the, the fear that they basically yeah. live under in the atmosphere we have now. So everybody's a little more open. Everybody's a little more fun because, as we mentioned, this – doesn't count for anything and then it's almost like the window shade comes down and there's no more fun when we walk out of here it's all business yeah you speak a snippet sean we were able to get more than just a snippet with our next guest we were able to sit down for a while with minnesota wild center eric stall eric thank you so much for joining us how's everything uh, very good very yeah. good this is your sixth all-star appearance what is it like to keep coming back here and you know uh, you know there was a stretch there there you didn't get it and now here it is a couple of times in three years. What's it like to keep coming back here and, and being a part of this weekend for you? Well, I think it changes over, over the years. Uh, obviously now, uh, you know, being at the back half of my career and, you know, having uh, kids and a family, uh, I think the the part of enjoying it through their eyes is, is kind of makes it uh, pretty special. I've got three boys. They're 10, 8, and 5, and they're into – the highlights in the games and uh and paying attention to all the guys so they're pretty starstruck and and uh you know let me know who's got what and <laughs> but as far as points and goals and uh who's who and it's uh kind of fun to you know follow them around and and just kind of uh, experience it with them and uh you know when you're a younger guy yeah it's it's great to come and and you know be that excited uh, as well and of meeting other peers and other guys and uh, I enjoyed it every time I came, and uh, it, it's I think a little bit more special now having, you know, young young kids and and being able to share with them. So who's on the Stall Boys wish list this weekend? Uh, well, they were my middle guy was pretty pumped to see uh, David Pasternak. He's <laughs> he gave me a couple elbows when we were coming in. We were checking in at the same time, and he said, "Dad, he's got." 37 goals already and i was like no i know he's got a, he's got a lot of goals he seems to be having a pretty good year uh but mcdavid uh matthews i mean the the you know the, the, the similar culprits that uh you'd think for yeah. for 10 8 year old uh did, kids do they ever remind you what your numbers are do they oh, ever yeah. talk every, to you every day every, every day every morning i wake up is it up? ever good enough uh no not usually uh <laughs> My youngest tells me to get a hat trick every time I head to the game. All so, right. um, but it's uh, it's good advice. It, yeah, no, I know. I'd say I don't worry. I'm, Dad's always trying. I'm always trying. Uh, but uh, no, they they're they're good. They're paying attention and in the mornings. They they let me have it usually if it's good or bad. But it's it's fine. Do you have a favorite All Star memory of the ones you've been to? Uh, I mean, they're all they all have their own unique moments and they're pretty special. I think uh, I, I was able to share. Um, one in Dallas with Jordan as he was a young star, I think. So with my yeah. brother, that was fun. And then, and then I've also went to one with Mark, uh, when he was an all-star, I think it was in Montreal together. That was pretty special. And then, and then the one in Raleigh, when I was playing for Carolina, um, you know, to be able to do it, uh, with your, your home team and, and your fans, um, that was a really, really busy weekend for me, but yeah. it was super yeah. special because just the atmosphere, the crowd and, you know how much it meant to them there uh with me being being the captain it was it was pretty special so a lot of great memories in all these events i wanted to move to where you are now current you know <clears throat> minnesota what what is it about since you've gotten to minnesota it seems like there's been a new lease on your career why like what is it about playing there that that's you know pushed you back here yeah. i should say yeah i mean i think one it's it's uh you know the team that i went to it was um it's it was a good team a great team and uh, great players that i've been playing with and and then i also think just the um the environment of of it being a a hockey place and and kind of bringing me back to um to how i grew up my the roots of of why i chose to play this game and why i love this game and and um and that's just with the outdoor skating and the you know the minor hockey the everybody knowing what's going on you know mm -hmm. within the the team the wild it kind of added excitement every single time you're going to the rink uh you know I, I really have enjoyed that and it's been um you know a little more pressure filled at times but that's that's the that's the fun of it and you got to enjoy it and um you know it's just been a good fit for me uh with the group that we have there and um hopefully you can keep it going for a while it must be great to give your kids that same experience hockey experience that you had growing up yeah that that was huge i mean i think 
um, I think I knew right away that first year being there when I went out, uh, we had a pond behind our house uh, and just getting out there and pushing the shovel some snow and kind of clearing a rink off area. And I just had a few moments where it was kind of flashback to, you know, how I grew up and, yeah. and just how much I en- enjoyed that part of it. And, and then just being out on the ice with them, putting the skates on and, um, you know, to be able to just kind of share those kind of moments and, and have them kind of grow up similar to the, to the, to what I did and, and, um, get that passion for the game that way. It was, that meant a lot to me and it's been, uh, it's been a special fit for you this year too. The numbers are good and, uh, on pace to be better than they were last year. And you're 35 years old. Are you better than you were last year? Do you think, are you I, a better player now? <laughs> I mean, I'm more experienced. Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, no, this year, um, I think I'm more comfortable with, with where I'm at. I mean, I have, I have this year and then another year yeah. yet. And, and I think last year with some of the transitions and, and, uh, with Paul, it was a little bit uncertain with where he was headed. And I think, uh, for me personally, it was, uh, difficult because I, I've, I've really enjoyed being in Minnesota and, and I've wanted to stay and I was hoping to kind of get that out of the way earlier in that year and it kind of weighed on me a little bit and um, fortunately was able to kind of get it done after the, the trade deadline but uh, this year it's been you know obviously we had a transition in the summer with Billy coming in and um, he's been upfront honest told me you know how he's how he's going to do things and and that's all you can ask for so I've been comfortable and um, you know, just trying to play my game, contribute, do what I do. And, um, you know, it's gone well, but, uh, obviously team success is what you're after. And we're a few points behind, but we've got 30 left here after the break to uh, put a push on and get ourselves in position to try and do something in the playoffs. You're in this stretch run and you need to get it done to get in the playoffs. And a lot of decisions are going to be made in the next month as a player. What is this month like for you? Well, it's uh, it's a month like you said. We we've got to put points on the board because uh, we know where we're at in the standings, and and I think individually everybody knows what they need to do to to help bring success to our team. But um, we've got a, a good portion of our games right after the break at home, and there's going to be opportunity there for us to to climb the standings and get right into the mix and into the fight. And and uh, you gotta you gotta enjoy that. Hey, that's why we play. We play to to be competitive and to be um, counted on in those moments and chances. And um, hopefully our guys rest up, but make sure that uh, we're ready to go once we start after the break. But I think the one thing I've struggled with it at times this season. I know other people have the identity of the Minnesota Wild. What is this team? You know what what is the identity? Explain it. Like what do you guys look at as your identity? Well, I think for the most part, we're, we're we're difficult to play against. I don't think we give up a lot of grade A chances for other teams. We're not gonna we're not gonna run and gun with you. Um, we've had games where we have, and, and and it's been done. But but as a whole, with our group, it's it's about uh, limiting the the chances against and and being uh, very difficult to play against. Forechecking really hard, pressuring the other team's defense, and and when we do that consistently. Um, you know, we can, we can win those tight games and, and, uh, and be very, very competitive. Um, you know, you're going to need a lot of things to go right. That's just how it works. And, and, um, you know, we, we just feel that, uh, you know, if we do those things consistently, we're going to give ourselves the best chance and, and hopefully, uh, put ourselves in position. As you look around the league, has there been a team or, or a player that you've played against that's completely surprised you in, in how they've changed or how they're different? That's a that's a tough one to think of right at the top of my head. I mean, there's so many of these these young guys coming in. The the, the skill level that they have uh, immediately and and the the non fear factor to try plays. You know, like the, the kid in Carolina Shvesnikov, you know, picking it up on a stick and and then you watch four other guys try it days later. You know, and and they're pretty much close to doing the same move. It's, I mean, that kind of stuff to me is. Uh, you know, that would have never happened when I started. When I started in the league, you would have got your head taken off. <laughs> That's just the reality of it. I don't would have even imagined to, uh, trying a, a move like that. But uh, but it's fun. It's been great. It's uh, you know it, it's entertaining, and that's what we're that's what we do. That's that's our business. And um, but that part of it has been been pretty cool have you tried it yet <laughs> i can't do that uh-huh. i get i mean you put it on your stick. yeah i yeah. Uh, you give me time and no one around <laughs> and uh, and no whistle coming yeah i can do it but uh it's uh to do it in the heat of the action in the middle of the game to think of it in that moment is is uh you know that's 
I mean, that's just what they've been doing. So it's not surprising that they're going to try it, but um, it's not something that I've ever done. Before we let you go, we're going to put you on the spot again. You played through the decade. Could you give us your team on the top of your head? Three forwards, two defensemen, and a goalie, excluding yourself, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I would. I mean, say Sidney Crosby would be one. I mean, you could, you could have the argument for. I mean, if Ganey Melkin as well, a couple cups, um, Patrick Kane, cups. Yeah. Um, so those are three pretty good forwards, I would say. Um, defensemen. Oh, that's. I I I'd say Big Z. I think he's been, I mean, for a long time, but over this last ten, very very good. And then I think they won a couple in Boston uh, with him. Uh, so I'll go Z. And then on the other side, hmm, I'll pick an offensive guy. Uh, oh, I don't know. You got Duncan Keith. You got Drew um, Doughty. Yeah. Those types of. I mean, Duncan Keith. Yeah. You know. Uh, I'll, I'll yeah. go. I'll go. Hedman. I think. Uh, I mean, I still think he's he's elite now, but um, yeah, he's been very good for a while too. And in net, uh, flurry. All right, man. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate that time with Eric Stahl. Another interesting team, Sean, coming out of the break is going to be the Florida Panthers, right? They've won six in a row, climbed into the top three now in the Atlantic Division. They're one point behind the Tampa Bay Lightning. They have 61, the Lightning have 62. Both are chasing the Boston Bruins and trying to fend off the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Buffalo Sabres, I guess, too. They're going to be a real interesting team to watch, the Panthers. Yeah, it's their time now. It better be. We've said it for years, right? The young core, they waited on all their young kids. They've surrounded them with some older players. And when I look at them, Barkov and Huberto are game changers. Their defense is solid. Bobrovsky hasn't been great. He but, could be, though. But he's a second-half goalie. If he's great in the second half like he has been throughout his career, nobody's going to want to play the Florida Panthers when, when late in the season comes and when the playoffs come. And you know who's having a great year and maybe a little bit underrated in his year is Aaron Ekblad. Like, he's come around. Joel Quenville, I think, has really helped Aaron Ekblad's game. You know who's had an even better year? Noel Achari. Noel Achari. Oh, the oh, Rhode Island guy, of almost course. Almost 20 goals. You got to bring up the Rhode Island he guy, He has right? as many goals this year as he had in his career with <laughs> it, Boston. Yeah, he's he, he's having an – who would have thought that, right? I mean, he signs a contract. You think you're signing a fourth-line guy to help you with your depth, and, and here comes Noel Achari getting hat-tricks, back-to-back games, scoring goals. I did, I did not see that coming. I don't think the Bruins did either. No. Look, he got an opportunity that he didn't have in Boston, and he wasn't going to have. But – for a couple of games there, he's scoring at Ovi-like pace. Yeah, and and it was also good, speaking of the Panthers, we were able to catch up our next guest, St. Louis Blues alumni Chris Pronger, lives here, but he's also an executive with the Florida Panthers, so it was great to catch up with Chris Pronger. Here's that interview. Chris, thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with us. You live here in St. Louis full-time. I do. We were literally just talking about that before we started recording. Tell me about the hockey buzz now in St. Louis, even compared to a year ago at this time? A year ago this time, it was still a little <laughs> dire straits. Um, you know, they were starting to climb their, themselves out of the, the basement uh, basement of the Central, but uh, uh, it, it has done a complete 180. You yeah. know, with the run that they went on, uh, obviously winning the Stanley Cup and now hosting this and all the refurbishments to the arena and, and, and everything that the – organization and ownership I've done here uh has been top notch and and now uh you know Stanley Cup champions hosting the all-star game and bringing the best of the best here it, do you sometimes pinch yourself and say did all of this really happen in the last eight months <laughs> well I don't pinch myself they might yeah I think I think a lot I think a lot of fans and people that I know in the city were shocked the way things played out last year and yeah. the run that they went on and, and how they had to play to get in. And then, you know, you, I remember watching the Winnipeg series and being able to come back in Winnipeg to short scores that goal off the shaft of his stick and how quickly they scored two goals to win that game. And then they come back here and win game six and, and continue to advance. And in previous years, that never would have happened. You know, they got – a lot of breaks to go their way and the breaks that didn't much like the glove goal in the San Jose series, the way chief managed it and handled it in the media. And then obviously in the locker room was, you know, it was looked at their team the exact same way where 
complete control, understanding you can't change it now. Let's go win the next one. Like, just turn the page. Don't lose your marbles in the media. Don't mm-hmm. complain. Don't whine. Just roll with it, and you know everything will even out in the end. And karma in in <laughs> in the end uh, <laughs> worked. Worked is exactly it. You know what? Fair or unfair? Now it's been like we're at that point in the season. Uh, who's going to be the Blues of this year? Is there a Blues of this year? Is that fair? No. So, is it no, the Florida think, Panthers? Is it, yeah, but well, they're in not, the playoff not, right yeah, now. We're not in last place. I think <laughs> I to see that. I think we, you know everybody. You hear everybody talking about it all the time. Who's going to be able to do it? Who's this? Who's that? Let's take a look at the last twenty years. Yeah. How many of those teams have there been? One. One. So, but it was last year. Well, yeah. Well, let's let's not jump on that bandwagon <laughs> just yet and think that it's going to happen. Um, I think everybody thought they had a better team than they were playing, and I guess they proved it. So you didn't believe that if you got in, you could win? Like you always, all players always say, "Hey, if we get in, we can win." Oh, hundred percent. But they weren't in. Yeah, they were. You know, we're not. We're talking about yeah. going from last to not making the playoffs to winning. Very, very few teams that are in last place are able to climb their way out and get not only get into the playoffs but win a round, let alone the Stanley Cup. Right. Uh, no, 100%. That's why it's probably not fair to be looking at other teams and saying, you know, a team look, look at a Nashville right now yeah. or a San Jose right now and say, well, they could be the team that does it like the Blues did it. Yeah. You got to look at their roster, look at yeah. how they're made up, look at who they're playing, look at the division they're in. Uh, there's a lot of factors, I think, go, that go into it. What's your schedule look like? Is it backloaded? Is it pretty even? Um, there's no magic dust that can fix everything, and, and managers can only do so much trade-wise with the salary cap. You can only change a coach so often. You can only <laughs> like there's only so many things yeah. you can do when you're in that position. Um, you know, and we're looking at Nashville now. They change a coach. You're looking at look at all the coaches that have been fired so far this year. It's it's not always the answer. A lot of times it is, but it's not always the answer. Let's bring it to you, your, the team you're with now, the Florida Panthers, new coach, very well-known coach. You played yep. for him, Joel Quenville. There was talk when he got in that the culture was going to change, right? Like he was going to bring a winning culture. You're at the All-Star break now. Have you seen it? Has it changed? Is there a, a, something that tangible that you can grab a hold of at this point of the season from what Joel has brought? I think from a leadership perspective, I think from a coaching perspective, I think with his credentials and credibility, he's able to speak to the players without offending them and and have real conversations and have his 20-game meetings, his 40-game meetings, and and kind of identify what their role is going to be and how they need to play for our team to be successful. And I, I see us getting better. And and again, I've said every interview I've done since since the free agency started. We have the depth now. We have all the talent in the world. We have. At some point, we've changed the coach. Mm-hmm. You know, at some point, it's on the players. Like they have to take hold of what he's preaching. They have to take hold in the locker room when he's not there. Somebody's got to step up and be a leader and be make guys accountable and learn to play a certain way that wins hockey games. It's not necessarily about getting your points and doing this or that. It's winning hockey games. And how badly do you want to win? How, how, what are you willing to sacrifice? Because at the end of the day, when you look at, let's use the Blues last year, in order for them to go on that run, the amount of sacrifice and the style of play and the way they played, they were all in. They were, we're doing this, and, and that's how we need to be to be successful. And we're learning that and you have to be consistent the elite teams the bostons you know tampa to a little lesser degree they're consistent in how they play and how they bring it every night and how they compete and we're still we're getting better at that but we're, we seem like we're still learning that before we let you go because i did want to we're at all-star weekend you got to have some all-star memories right i mean what what is the pops into your head immediately and is it potentially checking justin bieber into the boards you know? <laughs> uh i was at gretzky's last all-star okay. in tampa my first his last uh 
I was in Toronto, which was cool. I was in L.A., which was cool. You just rolled over Gretzky's last, though. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, I mean, what was your first Gretzky's last? What was that like to be there for that? Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was, uh, you know, obviously there was a lot going on with him and his world tour, and, yeah. and, and you know, everybody knew it was going to be his last. We knew he was going to retire at the end of the year. And, um, you know, it was pretty special to be there for that. It was uh, – got a couple shifts with him, so it was good. <laughs> we're, we're, before we let you go, we're going to put you on the spot a little bit. Who would be on your all-decade team? Patrick Kane uh, would be – I guess he plays the right. Right. Yeah, you, you can, can just, just go three, three forwards. forwards. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll go, give uh, you a little right. wiggle room. We'll give me some leeway? Three forwards, two D and a goalie. All right. Uh, I will put uh, – okay, I'll have Kane on the right, Ovechkin on the left – Kopitar in the middle. They had a Crosby. No, Crosby. <laughs> All right. We've got to help him out here. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I was just going through the cup yeah. winners, and then I forgot him. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Um, on the back end, I will have Drew Doughty on the right. And you got Hedman. You got Keith. You got Chara. Let's do the three-headed monster. Oh, that, that, I I'll take that, one, D. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, and in the that, goalie? Uh, the goalie. Oof. I'm going to go with Carey Price. Carey Price. Yeah. All right. Do we let him hedge on the on the left side D? We'll I, go, I, look, he's a D. We'll no, you know fine. what? No, no. You know what? I'm going with Chara. Chara. I'm going right. with Chara because I want the... Strong answer. I want the one and the two. There you go. And I lied. I'm going to put you on the spot one more time. Okay, go. Ovi. Can he catch Gretzky? He has a chance. He does. He's... Uh, how far away is he? 202. Uh, he's scoring he's eight goals every three games. So three, is that how old he's? Thirty-four. Thirty-four. Just turn, or yeah. is he gonna go? Yeah, just turn. And right? that thirty. Now you're putting us on the spot. Uh, so thirty-four, <laughs> thirty-five, thirty-six, thirty-seven. Figure five more years. Uh, if he's got five years, I mean, five years of fifty. Well, that puts him over. He only needs two hundred two. Yeah, that's right. He only needs five years of okay. He only needs forty. Four years of fifty. Five years of forty. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, don't, math isn't my strong suit, Chris. You know, I mean, if he wants to play, if he can play, uh, I you know he's got a chance. Yeah. Do you think he'll be scoring thirty goals? Until well, he's got Bastrom coming back now for another five. They got Kuznetsov coming back. I mean, they got he's Oshie signed. Back. He's got to come back. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the key. Well, he's got one more year, right? One more year. So maybe you know, maybe he goes somewhere where there's a center. But I, honestly, I can't see him leaving because he's got two dishers right there. Yeah. Absolutely. So are you a yes or you a no? On. I th I think he can. I think. <laughs> I think if he stays there, let's say he plays next year while he's under yeah. contract, and let's say four more, he's got a legit shot. Right. Absolutely. I we'll mean, that. listen. And that was never going to happen. Not, That's let's, the most unbelievable Let's do this. Part. He's not going to lose a shot. He could – Never be able to skate again. He can still stand there and take that shot. Well, that's the one thing, right? A player doesn't. He's you don't lose your lose shot. It. Yeah. You might lose your legs, but you're not losing your shot. Just hang in the circle and so, feed it to him. I mean, yeah. he's in the spot. That's his OV, him and Stammer. They got their spots. That's it. Chris Pronger is one who certainly, Sean, has perspective on the hockey market here in St. Louis. He touched on it about a year ago. Nobody was nobody knew what was going on, what was going on with this team. There was tentativeness, and now you just look around when we're here. You see the you could feel the buzz. You see the lines for going into fanfare. The Blues stuff pretty much everywhere you go. Ho hockey is I mean they won the Stanley Cup. Hockey is alive and well here in St. Louis. There's no question about it. Well, the heart breaks over. Yeah, right. And nobody's nobody's worried about what's going to happen anymore. They finally they. They climb the mountain. You know, I think it's been great. Everywhere everywhere you go, literally, somebody wants to talk about the Blues. They played an alumni game here this weekend, sold the building out. Red Berenson, an original St. Louis Blue 50 years ago, 80 years old, straps on the skate, scores a goal. It was a great night all around. It's just been a, this week has been a great celebration of hockey in St. Louis. We had an Uber driver the other day who's wearing a Blues shirt, Blues hat. I mean, I'm telling you, it's everywhere here in St. Louis. And I look, I know they love their Blues here, and it's a it's a good hockey market. There's no question, it's a thriving hockey market. But them winning the Stanley Cup has elevated. I don't know, has just elevated the level of blues fandom so to speak here and you really get a sense of it they get the all-star weekend right off the stanley cup championship and you can get a sense of it the lines at fanfare have been just 
out the door. I mean, it's it's hard to get in there. Yeah. Hey, look, everybody loves a winner. This is part of their identity, right? St. Louis is one of those cities that wants to be among the big boys. They have the Cardinals here, and they've had a legacy of success. Now they have the Blues. Like, this is an identity thing, I think, for this city, and everybody's willing to get behind it. And let's not forget, last spring was so much fun. Yeah. Like, being here and the way they embraced it, and it was it was a miracle almost. And the team's good, again. And yeah. they have a legitimate chance to repeat as Stanley Cup champions again. So that obvious, that obviously also helps. And they got a number of their players here at All-Star Weekend, too, to celebrate with them as well. So definitely a lot going on here. But we'll be out of here shortly. Get a little respite on Sunday as we travel home. And then Monday, bang, six games. Here we go. So we're the start of the stretch run, right? Yeah, and that's when all the fun begins. You know, we'll be a month out from trade deadline, I, I think, on that Monday. Um, and, and every game... Every game all season now means so much, but every game from this point out is going to be, for a lot of teams, is going to be make or break. And we will be back next week. Yeah, in the comfy confines of Studio 12. Not on the road anymore. We'll be back home. And I trust me, by the time we do this next podcast, there'll be a ton more to talk about. Absolutely. This was fun to do. As always, please remember to rate and review us. We appreciate your feedback. And you'll hear from us again next week. 